Okay, we are in, uh, so we're looking at the life of the Messiah, so we're looking through all the different Gospels following the life of Jesus, the chronological life of Jesus. And so, we just are in Matthew right now, and in Matthew chapter 2, and we had just finished up how um, how uh, Jesus was a baby and he was brought with his family, probably uh, uh, at the age of two or less, somewhere between one and two, he was brought to uh, Egypt. So in verse 13, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and they left for Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken of the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So we talked about this a little bit last time. He has money now, very hard to travel, but uh, very poor family. All they could offer up was two turtle doves. This is about a year, year and a half, maybe up to two years after the birth of Jesus. They're no longer in the stable. It says they were living in a house at this time. And this is when the Magi, the wise men from Babylon, had come. We discussed how they from Babylon would realize that the Christ child had been born and why they would even care to come. So we talked about that because of the prophecies in Daniel and the prophecies in in the book of Numbers by by Balaam. But now um, they go to Egypt and then in verse 16, Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and he sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which had been determined by the Magi. So if you look back up, uh, it says that that, uh, in verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. So this is why he killed every child two and under, because at this point Jesus might be as, as as old as two years old. Um, if you give him a little, uh, a, a little leeway on each side, Jesus may be one and a half, one and three quarters at this point. And then he takes out every child from that, that age and younger. And then uh, if we look down in verse 17, then what, what happened had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet in verse 17 was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel crying, Rachel weeping for her children and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, He shall be called a Nazarene. Okay, so they go, and they're in Egypt for around two years, and we know that because of the, the, uh, uh, the date that Herod had died. And so now Jesus is almost four years old, three to four years old at this point, when they come back from Egypt into the land, God speaks to Joseph in a dream and says, Herod is dead, you can go back. Well, when he goes back, he becomes fearful because Herod had, had several sons, I think uh, three or four sons, and his territory was divided up to be, 
to be, to be uh, overseen by each one of his sons. So remember, even though he's King Herod, that was a title that he had asked for from Caesar. Caesar had agreed to give him that title. When, when one of Herod's sons had asked for that title, he was actually put to death for even asking. Uh, but but uh, So Archelaus, as bad as Herod was and as mean as he was, killing all the children there, two years old and younger, younger Archelaus had a reputation for being even worse. Archelaus, on the day of his ascension to the throne, after the death of his father, he had 3,000 Jews in Jerusalem killed on the Passover. I mean, so this man was really bad. And so this is why when Joseph hears that he is to go back into, uh, come back into the land, he doesn't go to Nazareth, although they had a home in Nazareth. He had land in Nazareth because he was descendant of, of uh, uh, David uh, from, from Jeconiah, so not the royal line. It was Mary who was the descendant of David from Nathan, the royal line. But, um, so he heads on back and he becomes fearful. And so God sends him to Galilee. Galilee was an, under another one of the sons of, uh, of Herod. And that, his name was Antipas. Herod Antipas was the name of that son. So Archelaus was over the, the uh, Judea. Over Galilee was Antipas. And Antipas was, was somewhat crazy, but not as bad as Archelaus. And that's where they go to live. They go to live in Nazareth. So what I want to talk about, though, is interestingly, in this chapter, there are four different ways that the Old Testament is cited by the New Testament. Four different ways that the Old Testament is cited by the New Testament. And this is not unique to the, to, uh, uh, the New Testament. This is the exact same method in which the scriptures are cited by the New Testament are the way rabbinic writings quoted the Old Testament. So in the exact same way that the New Testament cites the Old Testament, rabbis had been quoting it in the same way. There are four different ways that, that the, 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 the scriptures are spoken of prophetically when one quotes them in a prophetic manner. And so we're going to look at those four ways. So the first one is in Matthew chapter, chapter 2, verse 6. And you, shall, and, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So here in, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, is a quotation from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. So in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, is this exact portion. So in, interestingly enough, in this portion, this is a direct uh, uh, this is what's called a literal prophecy and literal interpretation. This is a prophecy, meaning prophecy, meaning that when Micah spoke this, he was projecting something that was going to happen in the future. He said, someday the Messiah will be born, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem of Judah. Why Bethlehem of Judah? Because there's also a Bethlehem in Galilee. But he, may, he became very specific. In Bethlehem of Judah. This is the same city that David was from. And so, this is the line of the Messiah. The Messiah himself will be born in that city as well. And remember how we had talked about last time, how, how um, Balaam had said that a star will rise. And it's that star that the Babylonian Magi had seen, knowing that the Messiah had been born, but they didn't specify what city, and that's why they ended up going to Jerusalem. It wasn't until later that, that Micah had prophesied this, and they also had the prophecies of Daniel, who had prophesied these things in Babylon, 
but Daniel had spoken very precisely of the day that, that the uh, Messiah would be born in J- Daniel chapter 9, as we had looked at, but he never mentioned the exact city. That came by Micah. So this is a literal prophecy with a literal interpretation. The literal, in- literal interpretation is the Messiah will be born in this particular city and that he will shepherd uh, my people Israel. This is literal prophecy, literal interpretation. However, what often happens with Old Testament prophecy is in the same sentence of the prophecy, you can have two prophetic words separated by a long distance of time. So in other words, and you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler. Boom. That is happening. Out of you shall come forth a ruler. This is the birth of Jesus. And he will shepherd my people Israel. As far as Jesus shepherding God's people Israel, that still has not taken place in fulfillment. You see, that is a portion of the Scripture that has yet to take place in the prophecy. You see the same sort of thing in Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child will be given, unto us a son will be born, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And then it talks about and how there will be no end to the rule of his kingdom. And how he will begin to restore things. And Jews will often come back and they say, if Jesus is restoring things, how come it's not restored? Because that part of the prophecy has not yet come. There are parts, even within the same sentence, speaks of something that has been fulfilled. And there are other parts that have yet to be fulfilled, which are going to be fulfilled in his second coming. But when you have a literal prophecy with a literal interpretation, there is one singular event that fulfills that. So in other words... As far as the literal prophecy and literal interpretation of this from Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, which is quoted here in Matthew, chapter 2, verse 6, this birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is never going to happen again. It has been fulfilled. It is fulfilled once and once only. So, this virgin that was with child, that prophecy from Isaiah, chapter 7, that has been fulfilled. The other parts of that, th- those words were fulfilled differently. But that part has been fulfilled never to be fulfilled again. When you have a literal prophecy with literal interpretation, that's when it's fulfilled specifically. There is only one event that fulfills that. This is the same methodology that the rabbis had for, for many centuries have used in quoting the Old Testament. First one is literal prophecy, literal interpretation. The next one, the next Type is literal prophecy plus typical, or type. Literal prophecy plus typical. And that is seen here in, in the same chapter, in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken of the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. So here they're quoting the Old Testament. Out of Egypt I called my son. But if you look at this literal, this particular verse comes from Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. Comes from Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. So if you look back in Hosea in chapter 11, Hosea is not making a prophecy for the future. Hosea is speaking of an event that occurred long before Hosea. Hosea 
is talking about something that occurred long before. He is talking about something that occurred in Exodus, where the children of Israel came out of Egypt. Hosea is not speaking prophetically. He is speaking of something that happened in the past. And this idea of, of uh, uh, out of Egypt I called my son, in, in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, it says that God refers to the children of Israel as his son. Collectively, the nation of Israel is referred to him, God refers to them as his son. So Hosea says, out of Egypt, out of, out of Egypt I called my son speaking of something that happened in the past. So why are they quoting it here in this particular context? Because it's used as a literal prophecy that is a type. Meaning that Israel is a type of son. Jesus is the son of God. Israel is a type of son. You see the same sort of thing uh, uh, over and over again in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is speaking about, it talks about how the Melchizedekan kingdom, how you had Melchizedek. It talks about the temple, the original temple, and how it's speaking of the temple that is going to take place in the future. It, says, it never denies that there was an old temple. never denies that there were utensils in that temple, that there were priests, that there was, that there was an Aaronic priesthood. But now what it does is it takes those prophecies and it uses them as a type for something that's to come. That is a literal prophecy plus typical. Meaning that this word that Hosea spoke, out of Egypt I will call my son, he was referring to the past. Something that had happened long before he lived. The New Testament cites this as a prophecy that has a type sort of application. There's a third type, we're going to skip it to the minute, for a minute, and we're going to go to the fourth type of, uh, uh, of, uh, prophecy, uh, of quotation of the Old Testament by the New Testament, and that's in verse 23 of Matthew 2. It says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. How many of you, when you have prophecy quotes from the Old Testament, have like small cap letters in your Bible noting that it was quoted from the Old Testament, specifically quoted. Anybody here have that in their Bibles, where, where it's using small caps? Okay, so for example, your, yours does. Yeah, and mine does too. So in other words, if, if, I, if I look in verse 6 of Matthew 2, that's in small caps, which my Bible puts in as a precise prophecy from the Old Testament. If I look in, in Matthew Chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 15, out of Egypt I call my son. Those are in small caps. Those are prophecy. If you look in verse 23, is verse 23 in small caps in your Bible? References. Right. But if you go back to, if, yeah, if you go back in verse 23, for verse 23 it says, He shall be called a Nazarene. What was spoken through the prophets. Now, you can search the Old Testament. You can search it. You will never find this quotation, that he shall be called a Nazarene. You will never find that in the Old Testament. And in fact, according to this New Testament passage, you'd have to find it more than once, because it says it was spoken through the prophets, plural. He shall be called a Nazarene. 
Well, you will never find it in the Old Testament. You could say, well, maybe we don't have that portion. Maybe that portion is lost. No. God has given us everything that we were supposed to get, we got. He's taken care of that. This is another way of quotation of the Old Testament that also the rabbis have long done. You don't take an exact portion but you take a synthesis of many portions, you combine them into a summary statement. This is called, this type is called summation. This is a summation prophecy. It's not a literal word-for-word prophecy. You are summarizing something that happened. It's a summation. And this summation comes from the fact that it says, he shall be called a Nazarene. Well, where does it say he shall be called a Nazarene? It doesn't say that in the Old Testament. But what it says about Jesus, it says that, that of the family from, for example, Isaiah 11.1 1 says that he will rise out of the stump of Jesse, meaning that when there was nothing left of Jesse's kingdom, of, of the, the Davidic kingdom, it's going to be poor. It talks about the poverty that was going to be there. It's going to, it talks about how he was mocked, how Jesus was spit upon how Jesus was mocked. Nazareans were mocked. Nazareans were made fun of. People made fun of Nazareans. And so this is, this is something that happened. And, and uh, just as, as if, for example, if you go to Massachusetts, they will make fun of Texans. You know, they, they, they do, right? Um, so, so they will make fun of Texans. Now, if you go to parts of Texas, they will make fun of New Yorkers. You know, they... they, they, uh, they you know, you even see it in the TV commercials. They'll make fun of, of different regions. You go to certain parts of New England, there's this, this, this feeling that, hey, we're, we're just so much better than the rest of the country. This is just there. You go and you see this sort of thing. You see this sort of behavior. They would often speak of Nazareth as being a poor place. And this is why later on we see that, that Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why? Because that was the brunt of jokes. This was, this was the, the area where people were not well educated in Nazareth. If you wanted to be educated, you, you went into Judea, where all the good religious schools were. That's where you were educated. But this sense, this same sense that we're talking about, is, it says, he shall be called a Nazarene, is a summation. You won't find this in the Old Testament. Jesus does the very same thing. So, so for example... In uh, Luke chapter 24, in Luke chapter 24, you see Jesus doing the same thing. Uh, so this is after he's risen from the dead. He, he is speaking in Luke chapter 24, verse 46. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, and he said to them, thus it is written, the Christ, that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. All right? So Jesus is saying, thus it is written. Well, the New Testament wasn't yet written yet. Right? Jesus had just risen from the dead. Nothing in the New Testament was yet written. But Jesus now is saying, thus it has been written. Well, that is a summation of the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say all that in one particular place. That is a summation of many portions from the Old Testament put together. That's a summation of what was said 
what was written. So he says, thus it was written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus is doing just like the rabbis did. He was using this sort of quotation of the Old Testament, but in this particular passage, as a summation of what many said. And you can see this. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, it says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, plural. Not a hundred percent of the time, but most of the time when it says the prophets, plural, said this, it's a summation. It's going to turn out that it's a summation. You don't find that exact verse, that exact portion. It's a summation of a body of their teaching. Do you understand what I'm saying? And this is why if you look up in, in, uh, in verse... 5 of Matthew chapter 2, it says, it had been written by the prophet, singular. If you look up in verse 12, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 15, out of, uh, uh, spoken by the Lord through the prophet, singular. But then if you go to verse 23, it's prophets, plural. It's a summation of a body of what was said. Now let's look to the, to the, the, the last way that we'll cover, and that's in verse 18 of Matthew chapter, chapter 2. And again, this is what has been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet, singular. So again, this is not a summation. This last type is literal plus application, where you take a literal word, a literal word, this is a literal word, again, that has been spoken in the Old Testament, but you are applying it in a different way. So, what did, what did Jeremiah prophesy? Well, Jeremiah prophesied this. He says in, in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, he says, he reads this particular verse. So we'll read it in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. So Jeremiah spoke of this. But when Jeremiah spoke this, this was not spoken by Jeremiah as a prophecy for something to take place in the future. Jeremiah spoke this, the context of Jeremiah speaking this, you can go back to Jeremiah 31 and see this, is that Jeremiah, <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar had, had destroyed Jerusalem, and he was taking captive the, the young men and bringing them to, to uh, uh, Babylon. Among those captives was who? Who became very famous among those captives? Daniel. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, his three friends. So, among those captives, we know that Daniel was one of them. These young men were being taken. Now, they were be, being taken from Jerusalem north, north, northwest to, uh, 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 north, northeast to Babylon. And as they're being taken, they're being taken through a place called Ramah, which is still there. It is just north of Jerusalem. This place of Rama is the place where Rachel is buried. Now, a lot of times people will bring you to Bethlehem and say Rachel was buried there. That is not the correct site of Rachel's burial. Rachel's burial was, in, was near Ramah. So what Jeremiah does is he sees these women weeping as these young men are being taken away to, to uh, uh, Nazareth and they're, they're going to be seen no more. 
because that generation will be there for 70 years. So maybe some of the young men will eventually return as old men, and there's prophesy, prophecy within that, within chapter 31 of Jeremiah. But he's seeing an event, women weeping over these young men that are being taken. They're being taken from Jerusalem, north through Ramah, women re- weeping, and he says this. And he says, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. This is something that is happening. This is a, a, a statement about an event that is occurring in Jeremiah's day, and he wrote it in this way. Well, if you look at what's taking place here with, with uh, uh, all these children being killed in Bethlehem, Bethlehem is not near Ramah. Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem, five miles south of Jerusalem. Ramah is a few miles north of Jerusalem. So what's he doing? What what, what is Matthew doing when he's quoting the Old Testament? It says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted. So this is a a literal word from the Old Testament, but an application. The New Testament writer is taking something that happened in the Old Testament and applying it to their day. Because there is one point of similarity. The cities are different. In one case, the young men are being taken as captives. In this case, the babies were killed. So that's not the point of similarity. The point of similarity is that you have mothers weeping. You have mothers weeping. In this case, here in Matthew, they're weeping over their dead children, their dead sons. In, in, uh, uh, in Jeremiah's time, it was mothers weeping over their sons being taken away that they wouldn't see again. So you see that there is one point of similarity here. This is the same thing that's done in many portions of the New Testament. Turn to a very famous portion of the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. If you look in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, remember the the speaking in tongues fell upon the people when, when the Holy Spirit came and they were speaking in tongues? Well, if you read in Acts chapter 2, what does Peter say in Acts chapter 2? When, when, uh, let's start reading in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judah and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Now you can go to Joel actually and find this in Joel chapter 2, but in any case, this is what was spoken in the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, in I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant them wonders and skies above and and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned in the darkness, the moon in the blood, before the great and glorious day shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, so what's Joel doing? This prophecy by Joel is literally going to be fulfilled. But it was not fulfilled literally in Acts chapter 2. It will be literally fulfilled at the second coming when all Israel is saved. How do we know that? Because what is the gift that was poured out in the book of Acts? What is the gift that came upon 
these disciples. It was the gift of tongues, right? They were speaking tongues. And the men said, oh, they're drunk. And Peter said, they're not drunk. This is that which was poured out. If you look at this prophecy in Joel, it mentions different things. It talks about visions and prophecies. Never mentions tongues. Never does. Joel never mentioned tongues. In this instance, it says that the Spirit of God will be poured out on all mankind, on all humankind. Who was the Spirit of God poured out on in that day? Only 12, maybe 120 if you give all the disciples, but probably only 12, but maybe 120 if you give it, give it to them. So, that's certainly not all mankind. You don't see the sun being darkened on that day. You don't see the moon turning into blood on that day. So, what is Peter doing? He is taking a portion from the Old Testament, a literal word from the Old Testament, and applying it to his day. Because of one point of similarity. The point of similarity is the pouring out of the Spirit. Do you see what I mean? This has yet to be fulfilled as a literal fulfillment. This is exactly the way most preachers preach. Which is a good thing. They take something from the Scriptures and they apply it to this day. Like the Scriptures have said, and you take something where there's a point of similarity and you apply it to this day. So, for example... I could say, the Lord is my shepherd. And just take that verse and hold on to it and believe it. Well, the Lord doesn't say in Psalm 23 that he is Jim Tour's shepherd. It doesn't say that. In fact, it says, David is saying of himself, the Lord is my shepherd. Right? How dare I take David's prayer and apply it to myself? You know, who, who, who do I think I am? That I could take David's prayer and apply it to myself and therefore feel that God is my shepherd just as he was David's shepherd. No, it doesn't say that the Lord is Jim Tour's shepherd. Well, what am I doing? I am taking a portion from the Old Testament and applying it now to my situation, my life. And you could say that this is, this is wrong, you shouldn't do this. And if you speak sometimes to people who who really think a lot of themselves because they've graduated from a seminary or Bible college, they will throw this at you all the time. Oh, well, you, you can't take that out of, out of context and apply it to yourself. It was never meant for you. Well, how much of this Bible was really meant for you? Particularly, just for you. Some very small portions. But what we can do is we take this and we apply it just as Peter is applying this where he took a portion from Joel, one point of similarity, and he says, this is what was spoken about. Joel has yet to be fulfilled. This is going to happen when all Israel comes to the Lord. It has yet to be fulfilled. But there was one point of similarity, the pouring out of the Spirit. This is exactly what Matthew did. One point of similarity was women weeping over their children. And so he pulls out this reference from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah, and he applies it. I'll give you an example of this. This is, I do this all the time. Every great man of God, if you read their writings, they are taking portions and they are applying it to this day and to their own lives. They will take this and they will accommodate it for their own lives, the situations they're going under. And this is exactly what we're told to do. How, do we, how are we told to do this? It is demonstrated to us by the writers of the New Testament. We take portions and we apply it to ourselves. So when I was meditating on this Jeremiah chapter 31, turn back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 is this chapter which 
Jeremiah is, is talking about when he talks about uh, these women weeping and uh, this, these women weeping and, and for their children. So you see in, in verse 15 of Jeremiah 31, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children. So you see that this portion was written for the women in that day, in Jeremiah 31. But Matthew applied it to what he saw going on in, in uh, uh, Bethlehem in his day. But then, as I was reading this portion, so what I do is, in, in order to prepare for these studies, what I do is I read the portions over and over again just to, to really hear what God is speaking to me. And as I was reading this portion, it happened to be something going on in my life, and I'll give you the situation. So my, my son is working for me in the lab, and he got me really upset with him because he did things that he shouldn't have done in the lab. And he's been working there for, this is his third year, and he knows better. If anyone else had done that in the lab, I would have fired them. They would have been fired. I'd just terminate them. I, I have no problems doing that. When people violate policy, I fire them. And, and, uh, um, and I wrote out his termination notice, and I had it with me. And he's my son, and I just couldn't give it to him. I was going to give it to him that night at home, you know, because I didn't want him to burst into tears and, you know, in front of the research group or anything. So, and I came home, and I was really disturbed by having to do this. And, and, uh, and then I was reading this portion, and if you get down to verse 20, so what was happening here is these children were in rebellion. These Jews were in terrible rebellion. And they were being brought into Babylon because of their rebellion. And now look at what God says in verse 20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Indeed. As often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. God just grabbed my eyes through this verse. He looks at Israel. He looks at them. These people are ta- being taken out of this area of Ephraim. And God says, is, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Remember, these were terribly rebellious people. He says, indeed, as often as I've spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. And I was just meditating on this portion, and I just couldn't give my son the letter. The next morning, I woke up, and I was going out of the bedroom to go and have my quiet time, and there was a note that he had slid under our door. And and I picked this up, and I read it, and it was an apology. I had not even confronted him, and it was an apology for what he had done in the lab. And, and uh, you know, God really just spoke to me through this portion. God took a portion from the Old Testament that was written in about 600 B.C. So, so say, 2,700 years ago, it was written in the context of God speaking about the nation of Israel. And this became God speaking to me a portion for my situation in the year 2011, about my son and something rebellious that he did in a laboratory at Rice University. So you see, theologically, it may not sound very good to be extrapolating this verse to my situation, but this is the way God speaks. 
He takes the Word of God and He speaks to us and He allows us to apply it to our lives. And the Holy Spirit confirms that as He speaks to us. What we do in doing this, what a pastor does, what a teacher does in taking the Word of God, something from that day, and applying it to a present day situation in their own lives or in their own church is exactly what the New Testament writers did. Most of what is quoted, most of what we deal with is not literal prophecy and literal interpretation because then it only happens once. You can't claim it again. Most of what happens is literal pro- uh, a literal word and an application. A literal word that's spoken and we apply it now to our lives. Sometimes you can take summation. So I will say, somebody will be talking, I'll say, well, the Bible speaks about how we should be honest and fair with others, and kind. Well, there's no verse that says that. But you can find verses on how we should be honest, how we should deal fairly with others, and how we should be kind. That is a summation. That is to take a summation of a certain portion rather than a literal word. And then other times, it's literal prophecy plus a type. It's speaking of a type of something that happens in the New Testament. Those are the four methods in which the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. They're all different methods, and we can use each one, but the one that we will mainly use as we apply it to our lives is when we take a word where where there's a literal word and we use it in an application in our lives. And this is primarily the way God speaks to us, where we take this word and we apply it to our lives. This is the primary way in which you are going to hear God. People say I I don't hear God. I never hear. This is how God speaks. If you don't like the way He speaks, too bad. He is who He is. He doesn't change. So get used to it. Conform to what the way in which He speaks. This is normally the way He speaks. You take this word and you apply it to your life. And people that learn how to do this, this what this does is it raises our faith. Because we've taken this word and applied it to our lives. I like to read a daily devotional by Charles Spurgeon. And he takes a verse out of scripture. And he has a whole page just applying this to his life. And if you look at this from the outside, you think, how dare he do this? No, but he's such a man of God. It raises faith. You take a portion of scripture and you apply it to your life. And you just meditate on it. So I've taken this Jeremiah 31, verse 20, and I have it in my pocket. I wrote it out, and I want to memorize this to remind me of the mercies of God upon me and how I should translate those mercies to my own child. This is the way God speaks to us. This is the way He conforms us to His image. This is the way we become like Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of it. Because every prophecy will be literally fulfilled. But then you speak to us through portions, through applications of your scripture, of your word. Father, thank you for your word and the way you speak to us through it. Father, I pray that you take these young people and cause them to be able to take your word and apply it to their lives. That the truth of God would come to their lives through these portions of scripture. And I pray your blessing and your grace to be there. In the name of Jesus. Amen.